I asked you to think about a spiritual person or the person in your life that is the most spiritual, what would that person look like or act like? Someone who is spiritual. You're like, man, that is a really spiritual person. I don't know about you, but the type of people I think about are the, are the nuns that, that live at the convent right around the corner. I did a spiritual retreat at a convent last week, like a one-night spiritual retreat, just hung out with nuns all day. It was fantastic. It was amazing. But that's what I think about when I think about spiritual people. I think about professional spiritual people, right? I think about this person that, oh, amen. Like I think about that person that's a little weird, right? Like a little cut from a different cloth. You're like, you're really spiritual and that's cool, but I am not inviting you over to my house because then you would have my address and I don't want that. That's strange. That's weird. That's different. That is abnormal. Now listen, a guy named A.W. Tozer, who was once the lead pastor of this community of faith, a theologian and a devotional writer, wrote this, and I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel the total plan of God for his people. So here's what Tozer is saying. He's like, living by the Spirit, engaging with the Spirit of God, being transformed by his Spirit, uh, renewed, reinvigorated, and regenerated by his Spirit is not something you pay extra for, right? It's not for just the spiritual person that walks around like this, right? Not just for those living in a convent and a monastic community. It's for, get this, you. And you might be thinking, like, I got a job, you know? I got a family, I got stuff to do. Like, I can't be talking to the Spirit of God all the time. Here's the thing, I'm pretty sure you can and in large part, check this out. I think, I think that you probably already do, you just don't know it. I think that you're probably already experiencing the movement of the Spirit in your life, but, but you haven't like named it and said, that's the Spirit. Because here's why. Jesus promised that when, when you come to him in repentance and faith, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a promise of God. Does God always keep his promises? Not a trick question. One, two, three. Yes. Right. So if you've come to Christ in repentance and faith, the Holy Spirit dwells within you and is actively working within you. And sometimes what happens is the Spirit of God does things in our life in order to shape us, change us, encourage us, renew us, restore us. And we, we say things like, watch, watch this. Isn't that a neat coincidence? Nope. That was the Spirit. Or we say things like, you know what? I've, I think I've been growing in, in patience with my kids. What a, what, a lucky, what a lucky break that is. Nope. If you're growing in patience, it is an act of God. Because I know you people, right? Like, and I know me. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So when we see those things in our life, that's the Spirit. And we say, oh, my character's changing. Yes. Why? Because the Spirit is active. It's not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the whole thing. So when Jesus comes along in John chapter 16, and we're going to jump right to the middle of our text today. Watch what he says to his disciples. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your what? Say that word with me. Advantage. It's better. Watch. This is crazy. This is a crazy talk. It's to your advantage 
that I go away. Could you imagine if you were a disciple of Christ and you've been walking with him for three years, living with him, leaning on him for everything, and he goes, I'm going to split and it's going to be better for you. What would you say? No! Right? Like, what, what in the world? Jesus says, here's why it's better. He says, what he's saying to his disciples is he's about to leave the building and that's a good thing, right? Jesus is about to go. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, no longer physically present, and it's going to be a good, better, advantageous thing for the disciples. Why? Because look, he says, then the helper will come to you. Unless I go, the helper will not come to you. Jesus has been talking about his departure for a couple of chapters now. And he's been talking about the fact that when he goes, when he ascends to the Father, the helper is going to come. Watch this, John chapter 13. He says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm going, you can't come with me. Okay? Keep going. John chapter 14, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, because there will be a time where I am not still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26 says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, I am going, and that's going to be a good thing. Why? Because I'm going to send the helper to you. Now that word helper has been translated a number of different ways in different Bible translations. Helper, advocate, counselor, those kinds of things. In the original language, in the Greek, that word is paraclete. Paraclete. And this is not paraclete like I play soccer on Tuesday nights and I need a new paracletes, right? That's not what that is, okay? Paraclete is the Greek, some of you just got that. It took you a minute, right? Oh, paracletes. <laughs> That is good. That's rich. You got me on that one. All right. So paraclete is, is the Greek transliteration, and this is the word that's used in the New Testament to refer to the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. An author named Richard Rohr actually pointed out that the Holy Spirit is typically the forgotten or the neglected part of the triune God. We believe in Christianity that God is eternally existent uh, in one nature, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we kind of get. Son, we kind of get. That's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit thing, we either neglect or forget about the Holy Spirit or eschew the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is kind of an unknown and we don't like the unknown. The Holy Spirit just kind of feels a little ethereal and out there for us. And again, it's like we think of spiritual people and we're like, I'm not that. I'm a normal person. I got a job tomorrow. I got kids to feed. Like, I, I, that's not how I live. And, and, and when we forget about the paraclete, the Spirit of God, then we kind of sacrifice the, comp, the complex and robust and divine nature of the Trinity. So here's what we need to do. We need to understand the paraclete. We need to understand this helper that Jesus has promised. Because look, listen so closely. I said this already, but listen so closely. It's better that Jesus is not here, physically present with us. That's better for you. Better. The helper, the paraclete, the spirit is better. So just as Arnold Schwarzenegger one time in kindergarten cop asked, who is your daddy and what does he do? We will ask this morning, who is the paraclete and what does he do? Okay, that's our job this morning, to understand who the paraclete is and what he does. And what I want to do is ramp up to this passage that we're in in John chapter 16 by first kind of 
reframing kind of this Old Testament mindset so we understand the mindset with which and the mental framework with which the disciples are listening to these promises of Jesus. So in the Old Testament, that community of faith, that Jewish community of faith would have seen the Spirit as creator. Spirit is creator. If you know Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And the spirit of God, that word in the uh, Hebrew is ruach, it just means breath of God, hovered over the surface of the deep. The spirit was present there at creation and spoke the earth and all that we can see and all that we cannot see into existence. And that's the disciples who were very Jewish, by the way, would have understood the spirit as creator. Second, they would have understood the spirit as voice, particularly God's voice, or even inspiring people to speak on behalf of God. So what you see in the Old Testament is that the Spirit of God comes on prophets or the Spirit of God comes on to the fathers of the faith and they begin to speak the truth of God. They begin to say, Israel, come back to God or Israel, God has love for you. God has good things for you or Israel, you've gone a long way away from God. You need to kind of retrace your steps here or else this is going to happen. That's the Spirit and his voice speaking through the prophets and the fathers of the faith. Then there would have been an Old Testament understanding, at least should have been, of the Spirit as rebirth, the Spirit as a renewing, recreating, regenerating, catalytic force. Here's why I know that. Because in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says that you must be born again, not just of water, but of spirit as well. And that spirit creates a rebirth, creates being born again. The spirit is a catalyst for being born again. And he looks at Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and he says, look, you're like a professional religious person. You should already know all this stuff. You remember that? Jesus says, how are you, a teacher of Israel, unaware of what I'm telling you right now? Why? Because if you look back through the Old Testament and those threads of what God is doing in and through his spirit, what you see is that the spirit is a catalyst for rebirth. The disciples would have come in with this type of mindset. But then, as kind of time marched forward into the first century, when Jesus shows up on the scene, what you have is not a single kind of monolithic Judaism. What you have, and forgive the language here, but stick with me, is multiple Judaisms, plural. Different kind of strands of thought, different streams of thought, different sects, if you will. It's a lot like now when you have kind of different denominations of Christianity. And those different sects, and there were a lot of them, but there are a few prominent ones that we're going to talk about this morning. Those few different sects kind of focused in on one particular working of the Spirit and kind of forfeited or forgot about all the other workings of the Spirit. And in large part, those sects were correct in what they articulated. The Spirit of God does this. Yes, you're correct, but you're not complete. Do you understand the difference? They were correct in what they said, but they weren't understanding the complete and total role of the Spirit. So we're going to talk about a couple of those sects real quick this morning. So here's the deal. We're going to do a little bit of sex education is what we're going to do. <laughs> Listen, I've been excited for this joke since Monday, okay? So I need you 
to be excited with me. <laughs> some of you are thinking, this is the greatest church I've ever been to. And some of you are thinking, how quickly can I get out of here? This is unbelievable. Okay, So here's the first sect, a group called the Pharisees. They saw the spirit as law. These guys were kind of the religious elite, these religious professionals. Nicodemus was one. I just mentioned him. And they understood that the spirit of God was lawgiver. Hence the reason they followed all the moral law and all the ceremonial law and all the civil law of the Old Testament. In fact, they added a bunch of their own. And they would say that the spirit of God is kind of judge and jury and lawyer that convicts the world of sin and guilt. That's what the Spirit does. See, they were right, and we'll get there in a minute, but they were just incomplete. The second group of people was a group called the Essenes, and they saw the Spirit as truth. The Spirit brings truth, speaks truth, is truth. And the world around us is not truthful. This Greco-Roman world that we live in is not truthful. So the Essenes concluded, we're going to leave and go create our own communities out in the desert. They were really a lot like monks, right? And they said, we reject what, what the world is telling us, and we're going to retreat and create our own communities that are truthful because the Spirit is truth. Then there's a group of folks called the Zealots. The Zealots saw what was going on in the Roman Empire, and they were like, this is bad, this is wrong, this is oppressive, this needs to change, and if we've got to take up the sword in order to do it, we're happy to. And the spirit, in their mind and in the kind of their frame of thinking and worldview, would be a catalyst for change, namely overthrow of the Roman Empire. In fact, one of Jesus' followers was a zealot. Did you know that? Simon the Zealot. He was part of this community that would take up swords and, and, and fight against the Roman authorities if they had an opportunity to. So when Jesus comes out on the scene and he says, I'm the Messiah, all the Zealots think, great, finally, somebody who's going to lead this rebellion and restore the kingdom to Israel. But that wasn't Jesus' vision for change, now was it? So here's what happens. This first kind of mention... Because Jesus talks about the helper, the paraclete, all throughout John chapter 14, uh, 13 through 17, 18-ish. This first mention of the paraclete, that he kind of starts to uh, help us understand the role of the paraclete, the role of his spirit in our lives, comes in John chapter 14, and, and we'll get to John chapter 16 here in a minute. He says this, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Two short verses, Jesus is talking about the Spirit. Just some little breadcrumbs, right? Just some little hints in this conversation. In two short verses, he gives us a lot of information about the helper. First thing is he says, you will get a helper. And understand from a biblical perspective, this is not help as in, you know, I'm baking cookies and Kaya, my four-year-old, comes over and says, Daddy, can I help you? Because what does that mean? That means I put you on a chair and I bake cookies and prevent you from burning yourself. That's, what that, that's that kind of help, right? Or sometimes we think of help like I have this task that I'm going to do and if I don't have help, I won't get it done as quickly or as thoroughly. That's not the biblical understanding of help. When the Bible says that God is our ever-present what? Help in time of trouble, it's not thinking about somebody that might help us get the task done a little quicker. 
This is the kind of help that the Spirit is in your life. Someone got stuck in my driveway. We have a long driveway. Someone got stuck in our driveway this week in the snow, and they called, and they said, hey, could you come down and help us? So I took the truck down, and I have a four-wheel drive truck, and I'm like, I can't get you out. Like, no matter how much I push, and that's not going to be that hard. Anyway, I'm like, huh? Well, bummer, right? Like, they can't get themselves out. I can't get them out. I've got tools that might help us to do that. They are stuck, stuck, stuck. So we had to call for what? Help. To rectify a situation that we could not rectify on our own. You with me? This is the type of help that God is for us. Not just a little bit of assistance here and there. But the power, the tools, the sovereignty to help us rectify situations that we could not rectify on our own. He's a helper, the spirit. Also, he's a spirit of truth, a spirit of truth. God is a spirit of truth. So here's what we can say now. The spirit not just is helper, but the spirit is true. The spirit is true. The spirit is help and the spirit is true. Here's, here's what that means really, really practically. The Bible is true. We've affirmed that in here before, that every word that the Bible speaks, it speaks nothing that's contrary to fact. The Bible is true. So if the spirit of God ever speaks anything that's contrary to the word of God, you can be sure that that was not the spirit of God speaking. It might've been bad Mexican food. Right? It might have been lack of sleep that's talking. It might have been yourself that's talking. People tell me all the time, like, okay, I really feel like the Spirit of God has led me to take a year off of Christian service. Nope. Nope. Now, the Spirit of God may have led you to dial back a little bit or create more margin in your life, but the Spirit of God has not led you to stop serving. I'm just telling you that right now. That's not the spirit of God speaking. The spirit of God has led me to move in with this person that is not my spouse. Nope. I really feel the spirit's peace. No, you don't. You feel something else. <laughs> now we're back to sex education again. That's beside the point. That's beside the point. That's not the spirit of God. The spirit always affirms things that the scripture and Christ, and we'll get there even, even further here in a minute when we get into John chapter 16. Let's keep going. The, the spirit, uh, the world neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells within you. What does Jesus want us to know about the spirit here? Is that the spirit is personal. The spirit is personal. The spirit isn't just kind of this cosmic force that's just kind of out there. You can talk to the spirit, interact with the spirit. The spirit is not a person in so much as like a a human being, but the spirit is, is an individual person that you can interact with. Jesus wants us to know that that helper is someone that we can have a relationship with. You can't have a relationship with an it. I got a friend, I got a friend when she was pregnant, like 38 weeks pregnant, still calling her baby it. Like, you can say he, you know. She's a really great mom now, by the way, okay? But it was awkward when she called her baby it. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's the same thing with the Spirit of God. Stop calling the Spirit of God it. I just feel like the Spirit of God, it was really moving today. No, it wasn't. He, personal. You can have an interaction, okay? Last thing that Jesus wants us to know is that he dwells with you and will be in you. In other words, that the spirit is near to you, not just in your midst, but inside of you. As a believer, if you come to Christ in repentance and faith, the promise of God is the spirit of God dwells in you right now. You don't need to take a class. You don't need to jump through hoops. You don't need to get through your 60-day probationary period. 
The Spirit of God is already at work within you and among you, so, so near and available to you. So now what the disciples have is this Old Testament mindset, right, that they're coming in with. They have these breadcrumbs that Jesus has kind of laid along the way in this final, final kind of conversation he has with his disciples. And now we're going to get into the actual meat of the text for today. So essentially what, I, what I'm saying is that was the intro, what you just heard. That last 24 minutes was the introduction to my sermon. So get comfortable. Um, if you have a Bible, John chapter 16, verse 4. John chapter 16, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you need a Bible, I got one here. You can use your phone, whatever. You come pick this one up. You can also have that base. If you want to have Mars's base, you can take it home, sell it on eBay, whatever you want to do. So Jesus is continuing this conversation, and now he says this. He's starting to talk about the paraclete now, the helper. He says, when I, but I said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. In other words, when these things actually happen, you're going to look back and go, he told us this. Like this is what happened right now. He told us this, right? That's what Jesus is saying. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I'm here still. Why would I say these things to you? But now that I'm going to him who sent me, none of you ask me, where are you going? You know what they're, they're not asking? Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Because I, here's why I think, because they're sitting there like this. <laughs> I don't think anybody's speaking because this is like blowing their minds right now. Jesus continues. He says this. Um, he says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Of course it has. Of course it has. They're sad, right? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, there we are, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Everybody say this word with me that's highlighted in yellow. One, two, three, send. Listen very, very closely. The Father sent the Son into the world, according to John chapter 3, verse 17, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Son is sent into the world. Now the Son is ascending to the Father and is going to send the Spirit into the world. The Spirit is sent from God. And this is so critical for us to understand because it will shape two things, the nature of your walk with Jesus and two, your interaction with the Holy Spirit. God is a sending God. That's what God does. That's who God is. He sent his son into the world. When something was busted, he sent his son to go fix it. Then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he is sending the spirit to be with us and in us. The spirit is sent. And because we are the people of God, because we are called out by God from the world, we also are sent people. This is why just before Jesus ascends into heaven, watch what he says to his disciples. He says, peace be with you as the father has, say that word with me, said, don't, don't, don't get lax now. Say it with enthusiasm. As the father has sent me, even so I am, come on now, sending you. You are a sent people. And Jesus goes on, he says, you're a sent people. Now watch this. When he said this, he breathed on them and received and said, receive the what? Power of the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's the thing. Not just the Spirit is sent, so are you. So are you. 
You are a sent people, just as God sent his son, just as Jesus and the Father send the Spirit in order to rectify and become a helper for a broken situation. You, as a follower of Jesus, are a sent individual, and we, as a community, are sent communities. And I have people come into my, my office all the time, like, oh, I'm not really experiencing the Spirit of God. I don't really know the Spirit of God. I want to be closer to the Spirit of God. And what they mean by that is I want this feeling. Oh, that's what they want. They want something supernatural and ethereal or whatever. And so here's typically my question. Where is God using you for his kingdom? Where has he sent you? In your workplace, is there someone that's hurting that needs an arm wrapped around them in a prayer? In your community of faith and believers, is there a neighbor that's struggling with something that's, uh, that's not very mobile and you can shovel their walk? Go do that stuff. This is why life groups are so unbelievably critical here. They are not Bible studies. They are not prayer groups. They are families of people who are sent into neighborhoods joining God in what he is already doing. Because God sent his son and now Jesus sends the spirit and the spirit empowers us to be sent people. If you want to experience the spirit of God in your life, ask yourself, Am I letting God send me to the hurting, to the broken, to the powerless, to the ruptured stuff I see in this world? I might go long today. I'm going to give myself a little bit of grace because here's the deal. This week, this is what set heaviest on my heart this week as I uh, read this text. There are some messed up things going on in our world. You know that, right? Like, not just like on the news, like public stuff, like some really really messed up private stuff that nobody knows about. Some under the cover, kind of in the dark of night, you know, on the side, like some, some really crummy, crummy things. Broken and busted people. People that think, you know what? This is so bad. I'd rather just take my own life. That's how bad it gets. We, people of God, are sent by him and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we want to experience that help, that paraclete, that supernatural help, we need to start seeing ourselves as people who have been sent because the Spirit is sent. Let's keep going. Jesus says, and when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus said a lot of things there. Let's just break it down one by one. It's not that complicated. He says the Spirit is sent to convict, highlight, magnify, make you aware of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he says, sin because they do not believe in me. Understand that what Jesus is saying here is that let's understand sin in a little more comprehensive way. Sin is not a list of all the things you've done wrong and a list of all the things uh, that you should have done right that you didn't do. That's not sin. Sin is a broader comprehensive choice to reject the authority of God and go my own way. That, that's what sin is. So that's what Jesus is saying. They don't believe in me. They didn't trust in me. They trusted in themselves. And so the spirit is going to impress that upon our hearts. So if you are a person of faith and a follower of Jesus and you've said, you know what? My life, when I was kind of on the throne, didn't go all that great. 
So I'm going to abdicate the throne and give it to Jesus. That's the spirit. That wasn't you. The spirit's at work in your life. Just name it. Call it what it is. It wasn't a lucky break. It was the spirit of God convicting you of sin. Second, convicting us of righteousness. That is to say, what is the standard that God expects us to live up to? Here's the deal. The standard that God expects us to live up to is Jesus. He lived a perfect life. No sin, nothing, ever, ever. That's the standard he expects us to live up to. And there was a time when Jesus was walking around on the planet. People go, what is righteousness? Well, look at that guy. That's him. That's righteousness. That's it. That's the embodiment of righteousness. But now that Jesus has gone to the Father... There is what he's saying. You, you have to have a, somebody convict you of righteousness, highlight that, remind you of that, because I'm now gone. And there's nobody on the planet that we can go, what does righteousness look like? Well, look at that guy. No, don't look at that guy. Look at that girl. No, don't look at that girl. The only person we can look to is Jesus. So the Spirit comes along and says, that's the standard. Okay. Third thing is that you will be convicted as regard to judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other, world, the prince of the pow- In other words, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, personal evil, has been judged and God has claimed victory over him through the resurrection. And he will complete that victory one day when Jesus returns as king. And so here's the deal. Here's the deal. The Pharisees saw the Spirit as law, right? They saw the Spirit as judge and jury and lawyer to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what they're going to do. That's what the Spirit does. That's what we do. That's my Grinch voice, by the way. I read the Grinch to Kaya. (laughs) I'll make myself a reindeer. Yeah, that's... You know, sometimes, sometimes I say stuff, and then, and then afterwards people are like, do you know you said this? I'm like, no, I didn't. And then they play the video for me, and I'm like, why do people come here? Like, probably for this very reason. Like, dude did a Grinch voice last week. Lord knows what he's going to do next week, right? Where, where was I at? Okay, Pharisees with their Grinch voice. Convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But they missed one critical piece. Yes, the Spirit of God convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But later on in John's life, he would write a letter to the church. And look what he says to the churches. He says, my little children. See that beloved term? See it? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, but, if anyone does sin, we have a what? Advocate. You know what this word is? It's paraclete. The paraclete now is not the spirit. Who's the paraclete? We have a paraclete with the father, Jesus Christ, the what? Righteous. So here's the deal. The, 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 the spirit is law, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Yes, yes, yes. Agree with Pharisees. Ah, just incomplete. The spirit is judge, jury, lawyer, and freedom. See, the spirit comes in, the advocate, the helper, the triune God, and before the father, the son and the spirit advocate on our behalf so that that righteous code that we can never live up to is fulfilled in us. And now we're set free from the law of sin and hell and death. This is why Paul goes into, where's that Bible? Where's that Bible? This is why Paul gets so fired up in Romans chapter eight. Watch this. If, you're, if you have a Bible, just turn like to the right a couple of books, Romans chapter eight. Here we go. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. 
that conviction and condemnation is gone. You're free from that now. Uh, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending, there's our key word again, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And he goes on from there. It, gets, it just gets better. It just gets better. I'll let you read it at home. Man, so good. See, the spirit is not just judge and jury and lawyer. The spirit is freedom too. The spirit is the one who sets us free from that law. Jesus goes on one more thing about the spirit. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from me, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus goes on, just so we're clear. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He repeats that phrase twice. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The spirit will glorify me. Anytime that you hear somebody say the spirit has called them to elevate themselves, that's not the spirit. Like I said, it could be bad Mexican food. Could be any number of things. Anytime that you hear somebody say that the Spirit has spoken something to them contrary to the Word of God, that's not the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is always consistent. Always consistent with the Word of God. Always consistent with the authority of Christ. And, and here's the thing. I think that what we kind of expect is that when the Spirit speaks to somebody, when the Spirit impresses something on somebody's heart, it's, it's not a reminder of what the Bible says. It's, and it's not contrary to what the Bible says. It's just something right there in the middle. That's what we kind of expect. You know, I was walking through the mall and there was the food court and I didn't know whether I wanted to go to Panda Express or Orange Julius, right? Or Tim Hortons. And I just felt the spirit lead me to Tim Hortons, which I often do. So, like, I can't say, like, well, that's contrary to the Bible, so that's not the Spirit. I can't say that, right? That's not right. And I can't say it's in line with the Scripture. Well, I guess I could because Tim Hortons is good, right? But I can't necessarily say, well, yeah, God commanded that. So that feels to me like, oh, that's a really supernatural thing, right? That's a spiritual person. They're really in tune with the Spirit because they're, the Spirit of God is moving them in ways that is kind of extra biblical on top of the Bible but not anti the Bible, right? So here's the thing. Since the Spirit is consistent, and since the Spirit speaks what Jesus has already said, since he takes what the Father has declared and just reiterates it, more often than not, what you are going to sense the Spirit saying to you is stuff that you can read in this book. And sometimes we say this. It was like, you know what? I was just reminded of this verse the other day that I don't have to be anxious about anything. But if I bring my request with prayer and thanksgiving, that, that God will give me a peace that passes understanding and guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I, you know, it just popped into my head. I was just reminded of it. No, you weren't. That was the spirit. 
That's the Spirit doing that in your life. Let's call it what it is. It's not accidental. It's not you. That's the supernatural working of the Spirit reminding you that you can go to God in prayer. You know what? I was just reminded of this verse the other day that, you know, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. It just kind of popped into my head randomly. No, it didn't. It's not random. It's not coincidence. That's the Spirit of God at work in your life. That's normal for the Christian. To be reminded of the things that God has already said. Here's the last thing I want to tell you, and then I'm, I'm going to be done, I promise. Okay? Because what I want you to do is walk away, because we did a couple things, right? We drank from like the theological fire hose to today, right? Like this wasn't slow-paced sermon. Okay? I get that. Okay? So here's what I want. I want you to walk away from this place, if you can, and be able to mentally kind of admit to yourself and identify when you see the Spirit at work in your life this week. Whether it's in truth or in unity in the body of Christ or in in that conviction of sin, but also the freedom that God offers in his forgiveness. Whatever it is, all the things that we talked about today, whatever it is, I want you to be able to identify the spirit at work and not lie to yourself and and think it's something different than it is. And and, and here's what I want you to know. Here's one thing I want to equip you with to help you identify it. Ready? It's what Jesus says in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Watch what he says. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Here's what Jesus is saying. The Spirit and the Spirit's work is like the wind. Okay, Jesus, how is the Spirit like the wind? Okay. Well, the wind, you see the consequences of the wind. You see the effects of the wind. You see what the wind does to the world around us. You maybe feel the wind, but can you see it? No. You see its effects, its impact. You can't catch it. You can't bottle it up. So you go outside and look, and there's like snow blowing across the road. That's the wind, right? You see a tree branch moving. That's the wind. Or after a hurricane, you see the destruction that the wind does. Wow, the wind really blew through there. In the same way, in the same way, this is how the spirit works. You see little changes in your life and character. You can't see the Spirit. You can't bottle up the Spirit. You can't hold the Spirit in your hands, but you can say, the Spirit worked. That's that little change. When you see cities change, the Spirit's at work. When you see churches change, the Spirit's at work. So here's what Jesus is saying. You don't see the Spirit, but you do see the Spirit's work. You don't see the Spirit, but you do see the impact, the effects. So listen, when you are a little more patient with your kids this week, and I say when, not if, please. When you are a little more patient with your kids this week, don't go, well, I probably just slept better last night. No, that's the spirit of God at work in your life. When you find common ground with somebody and you have a relationship with somebody that you wouldn't otherwise, that's unity in the body. That's the spirit of God at work. When a verse pops into your head or something other, something that I said this morning other than my Grinch voice, right? That may be like actually spiritual and helpful, right? Pops into your head this week. Don't go, wow, his voice is just really nagging and it's just stuck in my head. It's not. It's lovely. And, and, and that's not me or you. That's the spirit. 
That's the Spirit, just bringing to mind the things that Jesus has spoken. And so here's the the deal. I want to give you some freedom this week. You don't have to be this guy. Okay? But when a coworker comes to you and says, I've been struggling with my life, it's kind of off the rails a little bit. Hey, can I pray for you? It's the Spirit of God. So when somebody in the, in the family of faith comes to you this week and says, I have a need, and you go, like, I don't know if I can meet that need, but I can maybe help you find some people to meet that need. Or when somebody's like, yeah, I just, I've been feeling really lonely. Hey, let's go out for a coffee. I just want to be a friend. That's the spirit of God. Just call it what it is, please. It's the spirit of God working in your life. You are experiencing the spirit, whether you know it or not. Let's just start admitting it, shall we? Good, let's pray. Thank you, God, for sending your spirit. Thank you for the work and the impact that he makes day to day. We are grateful, oh God, that you did not leave us alone as orphans, but you sent your spirit, adopted us into your family, and your spirit is at work each and every day. Teach us, God, to see the impact and work of the Holy Spirit and teach us to name it and call it what it is so that as we experience the Holy Spirit, we can learn to do so more and more, learn to listen well, And learn to experience the Spirit even together. God, for those maybe who are here that, uh, that are brand new to this kind of Christianity thing, uh, I pray that this kind of message about the Holy Spirit would be comforting for them and just would kind of be an open door uh, for them and even just kind of stepping into um, a walk with you for the first time. Maybe for those who have been walking with you for a long time, oh God, uh, may this be a reminder that you are always there, always faithful, always our helper, our advocate, our paraclete in and through your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us alone once again, but sending your spirit to walk with us day to day. In Christ's name, amen.